Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. Sitting down today with Coach Trevor Connor, Coach Ryan Kohler, and our guest of honor today, Coach Rebecca Gross. Next season starts now. Every year in September and October, I receive hundreds of emails from athletes looking for a coach or asking a training question. And as much as I try, I just don't have the time to answer them all. So this year, get your start to next season with our head coach, Ryan Kohler. Ryan is an exercise physiologist, a certified USA Cycling Level 1 coach, and he holds a master's in sports nutrition. Ryan heads up our virtual performance center at Fast Talk Labs, and now he's ready to help you. Schedule any help session or testing package with Ryan, and we will include a free one-month library membership to Fast Talk Laboratories. Next season starts now. Get your start at fasttalklabs.com solutions. Welcome to the program, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So Rebecca, you are the owner of 360 Performance down in Golden, Colorado. You've also raced for quite a long time. Give us a little of your background, both in coaching and racing. I got started coaching about uh, five, seven years ago. I've been on my own for about the last five years, and it's a really, uh, really rewarding experience. Uh, I've taken my 20-plus years of bicycle racing, mostly focused on the dirt side with mountain and cyclocross, um, and turned it into uh, teaching others, which is a really rewarding experience. Yeah. Any, any specific age group focus? Juniors, masters, elites? I do a lot of hands-on with the juniors. We have a couple local programs, and then um, most of my athletes are age groupers. Um, I do have a couple of juniors that I work with. Um, it's all a really fun uh, learning experience. All right. Well, let's get into the questions, shall we? We've got a first question here about the polarized training approach, the polarized method. It comes from a twin about twins. This question is from Ian Kramen. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's E-O-I-N. There's a lot of ways to spell Ian in this world. Um, he's from Bath in the UK. He writes, This question comes from a long-running debate between my twin brother and I about the optimal progression of bike intervals in a training program moving from early or base season into an A race, short racing season. As a uh, point here, Ian and his brother are triathletes. He writes, or he continues, we both subscribe to a polarized training model, predominantly using sessions as the distribution rather than durations in zone. The question has revolved around the balance between the final training block reflecting reinforcing race pace at distances nearing race duration or pushing to develop the higher end qualities, both centrally VO2 max and peripherally peripherally fiber and cellular physiology. We've both played with Seiler-esque intervals, such as 4x2s progressing to 8x2s, as the high-intensity component of a training block, complemented with regular, easy Zone 2 sessions. Then, for the final block, we'd elongate the duration and reduce the intensity of these efforts and often include them into longer rides to allow for more time at higher intensities. 
We've also considered swapping the emphasis of those training blocks, essentially training from long duration to short duration, from race pace to VO2 max intensity. Thoughts? I'm going to turn this one over to you, Trevor. I know that you are a big believer and proponent of the polarized model. You've uh, spoken with Dr. Seiler extensively about this stuff. Um, and he's done a study, actually, on looking at kind of this this um, method of going from long to short versus short to long in a progression. What are your thoughts here? First of all, the reason you, you brought up the fact that this is triathletes, which is important, is if this was a cyclist saying they were progressing towards these lower intensity, longer uh, duration intervals before they jumped into their first races, I, I would be immediately saying, uh, I'm not sure that's the best approach. Because I do think as you get close to the road race season, you need that high intensity. You need that short, really explosive type work to be able to jump from the field, respond to attacks, sprint at the end. Uh, you're not going to get that with a 16, 20 minute interval. So with triathlon, that isn't a factor. Triathlon is more just time trialing in, in three different sports. So you don't need that that really high intensity. So it is a pretty interesting and valid question. Love that they talked about the, the Dr. Seiler progression going from the four by fours to the four by eights. They didn't say what they were doing in that last block, but saying taking making it a little easier, doing it on a longer ride. So I'm assuming they were going to longer intervals because uh, Dr. Seiler actually published a study where they had these they tested the different progressions going from they had one group of athletes do four by fours for four weeks and four by eights for four weeks and then four by sixteens. And then another group went the other way, went four by sixteen to four by eight to four by four. In the end, they they found no difference, significant difference between the two. Between the two groups. Between the two groups with the particular progressions. But if you really dig into the details, you do see that the group that started with the the, the 16s, that started with the really long intervals and then went to the shorter, they kind of saw all their gains at the beginning and then they were plateauing. And you were also seeing a little more of a, a stress on when you... They looked at factors like testosterone, you know, basically see if there was any signs of pushing some sort of overtrain, mm -hmm. overtraining. Um, and you did see a greater stress starting out with that type of interval. Um, and that's what he's asking the question. Should we be doing the, the longer progression to the shorter or the shorter to the longer? Where what I liked when you looked at the progression in the group that started with the 4x4s and went to the 4x16s, you saw them steadily improving over the, the whole block as opposed to seeing most of the improvements at the beginning and then just leveling off. In both cases, you saw the biggest improvements in both groups in the, the when they did the block of 4 by 16s mm -hmm. And you also saw them able to handle it a little bit better because the, the greatest stress on the system, if you're but when you're looking at these hormonal factors, was in that first block. So starting with 4 by 4s seemed to make it a little bit more manageable. Mm-hmm. So what I got out of this was overall that progression 4x4, four 4x8 four, four to 4x16 is going to put you in a little better a place. Now, again, that's I've done that with my athletes, but then I have a block if they're cyclists where I'm going to have them do super high intensity like a Tabata type workout or a sprint workout to get that top end for races. But since these are triathletes and they don't need to be attacking and responding to attacks, 
my personal feeling is, well, A, read this study. It's a great study and mm-hmm. it's, it's available for free. But I would uh, I would probably recommend this start with the 4x4s, go to 4x8s and then the 4x16s. He also asked about including that in a longer ride. I have some thoughts on that. But Ryan, what do you think? I mean, I, yeah, I fully agree with that. I think we've seen it in your training too. And I know we we talk about this a lot with where well, you start with your five by fives and you progress upward from there. And, and it's, yeah, we know it's supported in the literature and it, it's a great, I think a great approach for that. And the specificity piece of it with triathlon being relatively stable as far as an effort would seem to support that. You know, I, I do think as athletes, like we just had our N1 challenges. I think there's some experimentation that can go on. So I think if they are talking about this, it could be fun to flip it. And it sounds like they haven't. So flipping it could give them an interesting picture to learn about themselves too. You know, I think we have a lot of data to say that it's probably best the way they're doing it now is going shorter to longer. But as an athlete, it's fun to experiment with yourself too. So I think it could be a neat little thing for them to play around with and flip it, see how your body responds and go from there. In terms of including it in a longer ride, I get that they're trying to get that little more specificity and do the sort of length they would do in their event. If they're doing lower intensity, I think that's okay. I do want to do an episode on this at some point, but I really want to dive into whether there is actually any research on this. I've seen a little bit in the past, but I want to find more research on this. But this goes back to the training the systems. And generally, if you are doing really high intensity work, like you're doing sprints or something in the anaerobic capacity and the things like uh, Tabatas or or one minute intervals, um, you don't want to combine that with volume because it's training different systems. And I've seen some evidence that they're essentially going to undo one another. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get the gains you'd get on, on either end by combining them. But when you're doing something like a 16-minute interval that's mostly going to hit aerobic adaptations, that's something you can combine with a longer ride. And I I don't think that you're going to have any sort of uh, conflict or interference. Mm -hmm. Rebecca, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I know that you're not one of those coaches that's all about the numbers, maybe not even so much about the the science or physiology you're you're more on the sports psychology side of things that being said um if you're working with an athlete and they come to you with a question like this do you say kind of what Ryan has said well let's try both and see which works for you and see which you know is more effective and motivates you more or how would you approach the the question I generally will start an athlete with um, the shorter efforts and build into the longer because I don't want to burn them out. So many times um, I think approaching a really long interval effort for someone who has not been doing them is very intimidating Mm -hmm. and I'll have athletes not actually complete the whole interval. So I would rather see success and the success comes from building from a shorter to a longer for me. Mm -hmm. Very good. All right, let's take on a couple more questions here that have to do with uh, what, you know, this time of year, the end of the road season, let's say. It might be the beginning of cyclocross season, but it's the end of road season. We've got a couple questions about that. First one comes from a Sarah Larson. She's up in Brattleboro, Vermont, and she writes, as the seasons, seasons start to change here in the Northeast, it's about time I hang up the road bike. Thing is, I still feel like my fitness is high and my mind is fresh. What should I do in this situation? Bottle that energy and motivation and save it for next year? 
I'm not really one to race cyclocross. Are there other outlets I should pursue? Rebecca, I'll turn it over to you first. <laughs> I like this question because I feel as though, um, you know, there's a lot other avenues. We tend to just focus on one specific thing. I'm not sure if she's a road racer or if she pursues like Fondo type events or longer um, exploring type rides. But uh, I feel like if you are focusing in on one specific type of event, this is a great opportunity. And she does specify that she's not interested in cyclocross. Um, but, you know, this could be the great opportunity to plan a ride in your area or, you know, in the next state over. That would be scenic and just kind of mentally refreshing. Um, if you've got that fitness and you're still interested in riding, I say go, you know, for as long as you have that and for, until the weather turns cold. Um, there's always other avenues to pursue, um, and new things to do, but the fitness itself is, you know, going to give you a lot of gains or maintaining the cycling, I think keeps you fit as you go into winter. So you might as well continue with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trevor, what do you think here? Um, is there something to be said for, oh, I'm going to get a week or two weeks off the bike at some point, maybe I should do it right now. And then get right back to training to quote unquote get a head start on the next season, or is that a is that a bad mentality? What what would you do in this situation? So address that first part. Uh, this is my belief. I think it's really important to hang up the bike for at least a few weeks, even if you're feeling motivated and, and really want to go. I, I just think you have to hang it up. And I've had people ask me that again and again, and I finally said, well, I'm going to try this, do the end of one experiment mm -hmm. and uh, see how my season goes if I don't hang out the bike. And I did that for the 2018 season because I was feeling motivated at the end of 2017. So I just kept going, just kept the never, training up. Never, never took a break. And what I found was I had one of the best marches I've ever had and I was pushing over training by end of April. Mm -hmm. All it did was just shift my season. Right. I wasn't stronger. I wasn't better. I, I just, unfortunately, and that was a year I wanted to go to nationals and I had zero legs at nationals because of that. Mm -hmm. So that was my lesson and I'm never going to do that again. I've talked about this before. I think there are adaptations that are structural. I think there are adaptations that are more biochemical. And I think that hanging up the bike for a few weeks clears out those biochemical adaptations. You get rid of them. That's why even though you just take a couple weeks off the bike, you get back on later and you're like, why is my power gone way down? And why do mm -hmm. I feel like a slug? Because mm -hmm. those have all disappeared. But I think there's a benefit when you move into the base season to get those out of the system because your body can only sustain them for so long. Now, answering her question, there isn't a set time that you necessarily need to take that time off. Mm -hmm. you know, I will always tell my athletes I want it before the, the end of October because we want to get back to training in, in early November. But uh, if she's feeling great and motivated and there's some fun things she wants to do, then then go do it. Get a couple weeks, get out of your system, and then hang up the bike. You know, my experience with most athletes in the in the early to late fall is there's a certain point where they get on the bike and all of a sudden the wheels have just fallen off. Mm-hmm. And right. what you don't want to do is keep riding through that. Yep. Before I get to you, Ryan, I'm going to come back to Rebecca because I know you're a big fan of cyclocross. This Sarah says she's not really interested in it, but I want you to convince Sarah that she should give cyclocross another shot. Well, I'm going to just go ahead and agree to disagree with you on that because <laughs> okay. I don't think you should. I mean, I love cyclocross and I'm a diehard cyclocross racer, but 
I don't think doing an activity that is uh, not in your interest is uh, especially one as focused as cyclocross. You don't really go ride cyclocross. You race cyclocross. So I don't think pushing someone, especially if they're in that fresh mind um, spot still to do something they're not interested in is the right avenue. I think, um, if, you know, getting outside on a cyclocross bike that are more commonly known as gravel bikes now and just going out and riding fun, you know, outdoor stuff and seeing pretty things i think that's wonderful but as far as like focusing in on racing that requires interval work and if you know the mind is fresh you might as well not and you and the um, approaching rest is coming i don't think doing intervals right up to the end of that is the right you know we're suffering through cyclocross race <laughs> probably more likely to do is just enjoy i mean the whole point of racing and training ultimately is is enjoyment unless you know it's your job so Really, and then think, it should still be fun. And then right? it should still be <laughs> should fun be. or you're going to lose motivations as well. Yeah, yeah I think uh, no pushing someone to start cross if that's not – if they have no interest. If it's just an intimidation factor and they need you know, someone to be around to show them the ropes and make it less intimidating, then absolutely I think it would be worth um, encouraging folks to try. But there has to be the interest there for them. I don't think it's right to – Yep. Force okay. It. Okay. Fine. Uh, Ryan, did you have any other th thoughts here? I mean, I, I totally agree with that. The fact that she feels like fitness is high and she has a fresh mind. I think, like to Rebecca's point initially, of finding like something fun and enjoyable that still might be challenging um, is worth it. Because you, I mean, with a fresh mind, you can go have fun and just do cool stuff. It doesn't always have to be on a bike. But she's in Vermont. Seasons are changing. Leaves are changing. There's, you know, she asked about other outlets. I don't know what other activity she's into, but there's, you know, even here in Colorado, I mean, you can find as the cyclocross season starts up, there's also a lot of other opportunities like some running races. There's where you can just go run in cool places. You might go on hikes and do some other things. But yeah, it sounds like with high fitness and a fresh mind, maybe she's still looking for some kind of a challenge. And I think you can find that without intervals and, and potentially with some different um, activities too. So I want to kind of add to what you were saying, which is the, you know, don't do what you don't find fun and, mm -hmm. and probably do what you find fun. <laughs> Are um, we going to get a Trevor tries cyclocross and realizes <laughs> he's not good at it story? Well, I wasn't going to do that, but I actually do have a story about that, which I can share. Because <laughs> two years ago, yeah, I was in my fall season. And I'm like, I got a little bit of motivation. Maybe I should go do this cross thing because Chris keeps pushing me to do this and trying to sell everybody on it. <laughs> so I went to a cross race in Longmont. Mm -hmm. Now, in my defense, I usually run high pressure, like way too high pressure on a mountain bike <laughs> cross bike because I'm a road cyclist. So I was finally like, okay, I got to run low pressure. So I ran the low pressure. I was not enjoying it. What does low pressure mean to Trevor Connor? Oh, I had it down at like 21, 22 okay. PSI. It was All low. Right. My rears? No. Or tubeless or tu with tubes? With tubes. <laughs> there's, the, there's the problem. Yes. Okay. Well, no, the problem got worse because my rear tire went flat and I didn't notice. I'm like, well, I don't like low pressure. This is what low pressure feels like. <laughs> And I was just miserable the whole race going, why am I running this low pressure? And I never looked back and went, oh, I've got a completely flat tire. Oh, my God. But my favorite part of the race was Kaylee Fretz was there on the sidelines. And the first time I come through, Kaylee's like, go, Trevor. And then the next time I come through, Kaylee's like, come on, Trevor, catch them. And then the third time I come by him, he's just like, seriously, Trevor? <laughs> I just start shaking his head. 
Yeah. An engine on the road does not mean you will do anything in cyclocross. Yeah. So I left with basically my tail between my legs going, why did I do that? That was no fun. <laughs> but going back to the point, the fall is also a fun time to say, I've potentially, you know, a lot of riders can say this. I spent a whole season training hard, doing a lot of structured stuff. Now I can go have a lot of fun. I actually keep on my phone this little, like, I'll go out and rides and notice this road that I want to go check out. Then I'm like, I can't check it out today because I'm training. So I actually keep a list of them. And the fall is when I'm like, ooh. The adventure list. Now I'm going to go check out this. I'm going to go ride that. Do all these things that are bad training, but a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And what I took out of that is that you need to try another cyclocross race because you were doing it wrong. Oh, he's doing everything wrong. (laughs) That's not the only cyclocross race he's done. He's done others equally wrong. (laughs) I have done two in the last 10 years and both were horrifically bad. The other one was when I was coaching CSU, there was a, a UCI race in Fort Collins. Okay. And so we wanted the whole team to go and help with the setup and marshalling and all that. So I told them, if you guys will help out, I will race the race. And this was right after You've I had, had taken- never had so many volunteers sign up. To we help. had a bunch of volunteers <laughs> sign up. This is right after I had taken three weeks completely off of the bike. So I'd literally been on my bike twice. I line up for this UCI race. The guy's coming and checking the width of tires. He just looks at my tire, laughs, and doesn't even measure it. I am dropped before I've crossed the start line. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. And then I think Ryan Trebone passed me or lapped me three times over. Wasn't it muddy that day also? It was really muddy, and I was on, like, close to slick tires. Yeah. Drift practice. No, it was fall over and then walk your bike (laughs) practice. It's all learning experience. Ah, yes. The glories of a good Trevor cyclocross story. Well, I wish there were more. Let's move on. This uh, this next question is also uh, about the, you know, ramping down end of season time. This one comes from Britt Gunnarsson. She's in Kolding, Denmark. And she asks, I've reached a point in my season where I have decent form, but I don't have the mental energy to do more structured intervals with one more race to go this season. I don't know if I should continue to push the mental side of things, scrap the season, or if there's a, or if there is an alternative to these. And I, I assume here she means with one more race to go this season, I don't know if I should continue to push the mental side of things. I think what she means there is continue to do what she's doing and do that final race even though she's kind of burnt out. Scrap the season or do something else. So a little bit similar to the last question, but kind of the opposite in a way in that the mental freshness is not there at all. The mental burnout is there instead. So Rebecca, what would you say in this case? First of all, uh, I'm impressed that with Brit for recognizing that she's experiencing burnout. I think that's the number one most important thing uh, to take away here is that if you start having um, symptoms of this, if you will, that uh, you something needs to change. Well, let me stop you there and, and um, have you describe a bit more about what people should be looking for as signs that they might be burning out? I think the number one thing you'll notice is uh, when you're actually out on the bike or out doing your sport, um, you'll notice fatigue creeping in. And then with that, the motivations, motivation will be really low or even just trying to get out the door to um, or get dressed to go out and, um, and ride. 
the motivation's not there and then you know, just the thought of those of a workout kind of stress it gives you stress and anxiety um and then perhaps you know sleep is disrupted you're just just not like all around just not feeling having like a good feel mm-hmm. um to your training as you're going absolutely the first thing i say here is stop is stop the structure um and then one last race it, it might be an a race i don't think it's specified here in the question um, but I think burnout can last longer than just till the end of the season. And I would hate to end a season with a negative experience. So I would say, um, there's definitely, um, maintenance with your fitness that can be done without structured intervals. So she should back up and just, uh, remember why riding is fun. And if it feels right, go for it. And if not, no, I don't think you're going to do too much harm between that and that final race. So it's better to preserve your um, your motivation and, and eliminate or reduce burnout as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Ryan, I'll turn it over to you. What do you think here? With the way this was worded from Britt, there's more of a risk by pushing yourself to do intervals and doing that last race than... Just, yeah, like Rebecca said, stopping and then going into that race with potentially less form, less fitness, right? So, yeah, immediately think of just pull the plug on the structure, take a few days off. If you go into the last race a little bit undertrained, say, I would rather see that than having anything that would risk pushing this lack of mental energy even like one step further. I think the risk is just too large at that point. And yeah, it's it, based on the question, it's it's the complaint seems to be around the mental energy to do the structured intervals. It uh, the decent form is there. So it, it seems like she can go race and she's probably doing okay, but that's where I just see the big risk coming from you know, if we keep adding more structure and with these, you know, continuing to push the mental side of things, scrap the season or an, or an alternative just seems to me like if we do anything to continue pushing that mental side, I just think the risk is too great that you could risk going over the edge. And we never really know where that edge is until we fall off of it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's the, the thing that's unknown. And, and I think like Rebecca said earlier about first recognizing you're there, I think that's another another key point for this athlete. It's like you know you're there and you've you've already – said that you're there and now you have these alternatives. So I think at this point, it's once you see that, just pull back. It's it's It should be an obvious choice, right? Right. right. Yeah. And sometimes they just need to hear it from other people yeah. that like yeah. you're doing the right thing. Hello, Fast Talk Labs members. This is head coach Ryan Kohler announcing a new way to use our forum. This week, we have started a new series called Question of the Week. Each week, we will give our forum community the opportunity to vote for the question they want to see answered most. Coach Trevor Connor and I will research the question and prepare a detailed answer that we'll post the following week. So send us your stumpers, pose your questions, and let's see which questions get the most likes. We'll see you on the forum. Trevor, I'm going to hit you with an maybe not. A, yeah, I think it is an impossible question. Oh boy! So, so say Britt says, "Okay, yeah, I hear you. I'm not going to do any more 
intervals. I'm just gonna ride my bike. I'd still want to do this race. I'm gonna ride my bike. Maybe I'll go fast at some point in the next couple weeks before this race actually happens, but I'm not going to do any more intervals. What percentage of her form will she lose by doing that approach versus <laughs> why are you laughing? It's an impossible question. Yeah, it is an impossible question. What percentage of fitness is she going to lose between now and the race versus doing it with in the intervals that she would normally prepare with? Boy, Chris, that is an impossible question. <laughs> Thank you for asking that. Anytime. The answer is it depends. Yes, it, it does depend. So some things that we can answer, she's at the end of her season. She's three weeks away from the event. So the one thing that I can say is you're not getting any stronger. All you're trying to do is either not lose form or minimize loss of form. That's all you're trying to do. And it takes about a quarter the amount of work to maintain form as it does to build form. So one thing I can say is you will be surprised how little she has to do in order to keep that form, you know, to, to have it be either no percentage loss or a very small percentage loss. I will say that if she does no intensity leading up to the event, so just goes out and does easy, slow rides, yeah, she's going to lose a lot of that top end. So I can't put in a percentage, but probably not going to race that well. In three weeks, you're, you're just going to take that whole top end off. So all she needs is like once a week, a bit of intensity. And there are fun ways that you could do that. One is go hit some training races as opposed to doing structured intervals. Those can be more fun. Yeah. Hit a Strava segment that you always want right. the KOM or QOM on. Exactly. Go do that. The the structure, when I have an athlete who's in this situation, they have that race, they're like, I have to do this race. I have to be ready for it. Um, believe it or not, if there's no other options, the workout I will give them is a short sprint workout because it is short. It's quick. It takes a lot of mental energy to go out and, say, do eight-minute hill repeats or to do Tabatas. Nice to be out sprints is even though they hurt, they're 10, 20 seconds long. Everybody can go really hard even when they're not that motivated for 10, 20 seconds, which is why you see all this research trying to get people off of the couch. They, 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 they're looking at the benefits of sprint workouts because people don't like to sit on the Stairmaster for 45 minutes for an, or an hour, but they're happy to go and hit a, hit a six-second sprint really hard. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yep. So that's the workout I will give. But yeah, I mean, if she just gets a little bit of intensity each week, she'll probably go into the race with most of her form. All right, let's turn our attention to this next question here. It's a fun one, uh, in my opinion. It comes from a Scott Dickey. He's out in San Diego, California, and he writes, I'm prone to indulging in an occasional beer or three after a hard workout. It helps me relax. Sometimes I also stay up late or my sleep is disrupted after a hard workout or a long ride. I seem to be buzzing for hours and I sleep poorly. I've often wondered, where's the breaking point? If I get the work in, but then indulge too much or don't rest well, did I gain anything? Or did I just lose the chance to gain something from the work I put in? I guess what I'm, how I'm interpreting this question is, does a good workout um, get negated by bad recovery? Or do they cancel each other out in a sense? Uh, I'll start with... 
Ryan because you gave me that look. Ryan, what do you think? Why does the guy that doesn't drink beer always get the beer <laughs> questions first? I don't know. <laughs> sure. Well, the beer is irrelevant. <laughs> it could be hard liquor. Could be. So if that's your choice. Either way. No. Okay. Just that, that concept. <laughs> yeah. Is there yeah. any any uh, way to understand whether you can undo the things you've done in your training by some of these other elements that affect recovery, rest, et cetera? Yeah. Well, in this scenario, we already know that it does affect him and he sleeps poorly. And we've said time and time again, the one of the best recovery tools is sleep. So where's the breaking point for this athlete? I think we've found it already. If it's occasional beer or three. So I think there's a lot to be said about getting a good workout in, but then it really comes back. I would always put this back on the athlete to say, what, what is the end point? Where do you want to end up? And along the way, there's decisions that need to be made. Beer is an indulgence. It's not necessary for anything. So Come on. where do we, I know. That's not true. I know. I can't, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. So <laughs> it's, but this is an indulgence and depending on how lofty our goals are, we need to make sacrifices as athletes. So if we're doing a solid workout and want the recovery and want to give our body the best chance to get those adaptations and, and achieve that goal over time, how much are we willing to sacrifice? If this athlete says, oh, I like the social aspect. I like hanging out with friends after this workout. It's great. Okay, well, good. Let's run with that. And yeah, sometimes it might affect your recovery. Is that is that a, a goal-ending, season-ending thing? Maybe not. You know, for some athletes that have a much loftier goal, that might affect you in the long term. So I think it's just what are we willing to accept in terms of the sacrifices we make or don't make. That's how I look at it. Mm -hmm. Rebecca, what do you think here? Well, also not someone to uh, indulge in beer um, ever. So I, you know, I feel like the one to three was more of a question, open-ended question, as in how much can you drink after mm -hmm. the workout. Um, but I have to agree with Ryan that, um, you know, it, it depends on what your goals are. If your focus is the athletic endeavors, then you should probably focus more on what works to maximize your training which would be sleep more maybe drink a little less i think if you're gonna have a weekend ride with your bros out in the in the mountains somewhere it's a chill day and then you drink a bunch of beer you know like everyone needs to indulge at some point so that's fine but if you're focused training uh doing interval work and trying to recover from that um maybe a little less maybe maybe yeah. one rather than the three or you know zero also <laughs> Trevor, I want to ask you another impossible question. <laughs> I love that Chris is asking the questions when he's the only one here who drinks beer. <laughs> Occasionally. Um, but this, I don't, I don't find this question to be so much about beer as if you do a workout and then you have a beer, what percentage of fitness gain did you sacrifice by having that beer? How much effect does a single beer have on a workout? 1.267 repeated. Ooh. <laughs> Percent. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, no, that's, is that an impossible question or just a ridiculous question? So I'm foggy on this because this goes back a little bit, but there was 
this whole push that I remember of people saying, well, beer relaxes you. It gets the muscles to relax. If you get a good dark local brew type beer, it's got nutrient density. So hmm. there, the, I remember some coaches starting to go, oh, well, this actually helps recovery. This is a good thing. You should have a beer after after your rides and races. There was a study that addressed this. I didn't have time to find it before we recorded here, and it's been many years since I've read it, so I can't give you the details. But the gist of the study was, no, sorry. (laughs) And what it came down to was beer does not help you. One beer doesn't hurt you. So if you have one beer after a race or a ride, you're probably fine. Beyond that, yeah, it starts impacting sleep, it starts impacting your recovery, and it is going to hurt your ability to fully adapt from that workout or that race. Very good. It's interesting, you know, I I don't want to um, belittle this question. I, I think it's somewhat legitimate and I'm sure there it's crossed a lot of people's minds because they want all they want it all, right? They want to do their workout and they want to indulge and they, you know. There was a recent study that showed that fitter people drink more alcohol. I think you should dig into that. I will send it to you, Trevor. Please do. Um and we can discuss that on an upcoming podcast with some other non beer drinkers. Let's move <laughs> let's move on to Final question. This one comes from a Joe Ucknellis. I believe that's how you pronounce that. And he writes, for the sake of motivation this winter, I'm considering doing some spin classes rather than another year of Zwift. I just would rather be around people. How do they fit into a training schedule when it's cold and dark outside? How do I use them effectively for the motivation without overdoing it? Is that even possible in that setting? And where does that leave me when I finally can get outside again. Let me see. I'll start with Rebecca on this one. Any thoughts here? You ever done a spin class? Yes, and I forgot earplugs, and I will never do another spin class again. <laughs> Was there loud music just blasting Very the whole time? Very loud music, and I think the instructor saw me putting my hands over my ears and turned the music down. <laughs> That's funny. It was also in New Jersey, which was, uh, a pre- I don't know, if, no harm. No, oh, no, let's, no, are you, were you born scoffing. in New Jersey? Uh, no, but I did spend some childhood years there. Okay. And I was visiting for a cross race, and uh, my cousin who I was staying with convinced me it would be great recovery to go and <laughs> to do uh, a spin class recovery. recovery. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't that find was it. before you became a coach, way, way before I, you became a coach. Well, I was just trying to go along with my cousin because she was very determined that this okay. was the right thing. So I, you know, I was playing along and I'll never do that again. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think the, the, not to, to get us too sidetracked, but let's assume that Joe here is talking about a I think the, the spin classes have the reputation. I've never attended a spin class. I can only I can only go on what I've seen on TV and in movies that are probably making fun of spin classes where it's very intense, can be very loud. There's almost people dancing on bikes because they're, you know, it's it's like a party atmosphere. Again, I could be totally wrong. Um, You're no, not, I'm it's not. It's totally <laughs> accurate. <laughs> Spot on. Yeah. Spot. Surely there's some so variety. Have, you, in have it. you guys been to spin classes, Trevor? Yeah, Trevor. yeah. I yeah. have seen spin. I've never gone to one, but I've seen them. I've yeah. watched them. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's ever seen the uh, Danny McCaskill 
uh, video, I think it's called Gymnasium, and he checks into a gym and he pays for his membership and then he's looking for a place to ride his bike and he goes to the weight room and there's like the stereotypical uh, huge person that clearly has been using steroids and then he goes to the spin classroom and his eyes bulge out because they're just like freaking out on bikes. That's <laughs> That scene is what I think of when I think of a spin class. Okay. Now that we've been on that tangent, Rebecca, how does someone incorporate, can someone incorporate a spin class into a training regimen to stay motivated over the winter without overdoing it? I think absolutely you could. Um, I am not entirely familiar with what goes down in spin classes. I'm I'm getting more intimidated as we discuss it. And the wide-eyed look on Ryan's face there is kind of echoing my thoughts on it. I don't think there's as much variety in the type of of exercise you get there. I think uh, based on the nature of the bikes, they kind of maintain um, an increased wattage as you spin harder or a decreased wattage as you spin harder. So I think it's one, if if it's going to fill a social void that you are wanting, I think it's completely okay to incorporate that if the loud music motivates you and having other people sweating next to you, maybe not in the time of COVID, but um, it's definitely an option. There's def- also, um, I think any indoor riding, you lose a lot of the other muscle functions for maintaining yourself. So if you're going to train solely on Zwift or in a spin class and then try to do a road race, I think, um, a lot of things need to happen in between those two, or it could result in, uh, not just a lower performance on the road bike, but also, um, collisions and whatnot. So, um, I think it definitely could be incorporated as a training tool, but doing too many of spin classes is probably not optimal. Trevor, tell me more. Well, I think the important thing to remember here is there is training for performance and then there is training for fitness. And a spin class is all about fitness. People are going to gauge the people who go to spin classes, they gauge how good a spin class it was by basically how many calories did I burn and was it fun? So if I felt like I I worked up a lot of sweat and the instructor kept me motivated and and I got through it because a lot of the people who go to spin classes would not sit on a trainer and, and do intervals. That's not fun and not motivating for them, but they're not looking for performance. So The spin classes are not targeting particular energy systems. They're not trying to make you really fast or or super strong on the bike. They're just trying to burn calories. And if you like the social aspect and you like working up that sweat, you're certainly going to get some intensity out of it. So I think you could work it in. But if you are concerned about your performance level and you're training to be a stronger, better cyclist, you're going to be disappointed if you go to too many spin classes. So, you know, I, I agree completely with Rebecca, maybe work it in somewhat, maybe like I, my suggestion that I wrote down when I read this question was maybe once a week and then get a little bit of structure in the, as your other intensity during the week. I wouldn't do much more than that. Mm-hmm. Ryan, I'm going to ask you an impossible question now. <laughs> oh, Ryan gets the impossible question. Now. Yeah. Uh, I've been thinking about what that impossible question could be. Since you are the only one that I believe has attended a spin a, a spin class on more than one occasion, I know Rebecca, you were forced to attend at gunpoint by your New Jersey cousin. 
So, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying it to say that all people. In the... No, it perfectly fits. Okay, the stereotype. I let's... wish I could put them this image in to a podcast. And... You can send us the photo. We'll use it to promote this episode. Okay. Great. But back to Ryan and the impossible question. When you attended these spin classes, what this this isn't impossible. You can. I'm just going to ask you. What did you wear? Like, were you wearing a cycling kit? Did you wear? normal shoes because they had flat pedals what take us inside a spin class if you would did you wear a hawaiian shirt did you wear a hawaiian shirt? probably probably yeah it's been a while while (laughs) (laughs) different spin class different spin class (laughs) so my approach to spin classes is non-traditional okay in that i will wear i'll dress as if i'm riding on the trainer so I walk in looking like the spandex you're, clad. You're out of place. I'm out of place. Yeah. But the nice thing Old. with, yeah, yeah. I can't, there's, there's no, only there, so far. If you're only going to use one word to describe Ryan, bold. it's bold. Yes. So accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Boldly stated, Ryan. Boldly, Boldly stated. stated. Yes. Oh, man. Continue. Where were we? So spin classes. So yes. Spandex. I'm not the typical spin class attendee. Um the nice thing is with most of the bikes these days, you can have your flat pedal side or your SPD side. Okay. So I bring my shoes, mm-hmm. bring my mountain bike shoes, and I'll clip in spandex, jersey. I, Lycra. Uh, Lycra, yeah. So mm-hmm. I'll wear all of the appropriate cycling stuff. That's. Do you wear a cycling cap? I don't remember. It's How been a while. How long are your socks? Are they white? They're always halfway up the calf. Halfway up the calf. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so so I, I've got. A, what color is your fanny pack when you attend this spin? Neon pink and blue. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Perfect. I was going to yeah. suggest that. Yeah. Very good. Well, not to pick on people that attend spin classes too much, but um, we we just picked on people that attend spin classes <laughs> for quite a bit. Let's end it there. Thank you, Rebecca, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Trevor, for being here. Always, Chris. Ryan. Thank you for being bold. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. (laughs) That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts and be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com slash join and become a part of our education and coaching community. For Rebecca Gross, Ryan Kohler, and Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Fast Talk Labs members. I'm Chris Case, and today I'm pleased to announce a new and better way to get around fasttalklabs.com. We've upgraded our website to make it easier to find the topics that interest you most. Our website menu is now organized by the subjects we cover best, including training, physiology, sports nutrition, sports psychology, and recovery and health. Click any of these subjects to see related content, and then dive into specific topics with new shortcut menus. Within training, for example, it's now easy to find the science of interval training, performance analysis, polarized training, planning your season, and strength and conditioning. On most topics, we suggest our top featured stories, plus a quick list of the newest related content. Can't find what you're looking for? We've also upgraded our search bar to cover more of our content. Just hit the search bar at the top of every page. And best yet, our updated website is now more mobile friendly and easier to navigate with a cleaner design. 
so you can see what's new from wherever you are. With these updates to FastTalkLabs.com, it's even easier to get faster.